Welcome to episode 24 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 24 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And how are you today, Jen? Well, today I'm a little sad. It is the first day of the empty nest. We took our son to college yesterday, finally. He's had to wait and wait and wait. (laughs) So um, he's there, and here we are. No kids. Oh, no. My parents, I guess, two years ago or so went through that with my brother. Yeah. It's just so weird. You know, it's completely different having no kids at home after – having them for, you know, almost 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> altogether, you know. So, yeah, it's a new chapter in our lives, but he's happy. I think he's been there, you know, just for about 24 hours now and I got a text from him this morning. He um has started a band. Oh, <laughs> already. Yeah. <laughs> that was fast. <laughs> it was fast. That was really he, fast. Yeah, so he's like, "Yeah, we started a band." I'm like, "Well, that's a good sign." <laughs> wow. With um like people on his floor, like roommates or No, it's it's somebody he um he he's at Savannah College of Art and Design and he went to their summer program not this past summer, but in 2016, and it was a kid that he had met there. So they've um, reconnected, and I don't think they started a band before, but (laughs) they were playing their instruments, and he's playing the guitar now, and his friend has a guitar too, I guess. So who knows? I don't even know what's happening with it. That's funny. Who else they've they've drummed up? See what I did there? (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) My brother did the same thing when he went to college. He started a band. I guess it's what you do, maybe, yep. for a lot of guys. <laughs> maybe so. How about you? Anything new with you? Well, I tried two new foods last night that I had never tried that everybody has tried, except me. Well, I'm dying to know what those are. <laughs> um, well, I bought this huge seafood platter, and I was like, oh, I got I'll get this platter, and I'm going to try these two seafood items that I've never tried before. Um, cause it had shrimp, scallops, lobster, crab. Okay, yeah, it had those. Um, so I never had crab or lobster before. Really? Yeah. I was like, I'll try them and then I'll, I live in the same apartment complex right now as my parents. So I was like, I'll, I'll try them and then I'll bring the rest to them to have. But it was so amazing and so good. I just ate the whole platter. <laughs> That's good. See, I, um, I like I don't like fish, but I do like crab and lobster. It did not taste at all what I thought it was going to taste like. It's sweet a little bit. Yes, it's very sweet. 
Yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. It was I, I don't know. I think I thought it would taste more the way it smells. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. It doesn't taste like that at all. No, not at all. So people, if you haven't tried crab or lobster or scallops <laughs> or shrimp. Now I don't I don't like scallops. Oh, I but... love scallops. Oh Yeah. Maybe I just haven't had them done correctly. But that's the great thing about intermittent fasting. You can eat an entire seafood platter and it's all good. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now I'm craving lobster. I know. <laughs> all right. Shall we jump into the questions for today? Yes, let's get started. All righty. So our first question, it's a little bit of a long one. So I apologize. I'm going to might go through it a little bit fast. Um, but it comes from, I don't know if it's Myla or Mila. What do you think? Myla, maybe? I think I would say Myla. Myla. And her subject is help is clean fasting beyond me. And this is what Myla says. So I've been binge listening to your podcast for the past few weeks and loving it. You ladies are so knowledgeable and I can tell you do a lot of legwork to answer our questions. I've been listening to you guys and realized I might have had a similar weight loss journey. I tried so much in the past from Weight Watchers to Atkins to 5-2 Fastings with the most 11 pound loss each time. Gradually, my weight climbed and climbed until I was 209 on a 5'4 frame. My bosses tried HCG, and that worked, so I tried that. Lost about 17 pounds, but during the maintenance phase, I discovered the power of the ketogenic diet and managed to finally lose a whopping 55 pounds. I was stoked to have lost so much and kept it off, but then came vacations. (laughs) Actually not worried about the weight loss, but would like to continue to lose. I will say I feel like lemon juice and water and stevia was a large part of my weight loss. As you know, ketogenic sort of leads you back to IF, so now I'm back and I'm loving my one meal a day, doing 24, she's doing um, 24, which is uh, she fasts for 20 hours and eats for four hours. She's doing that five days a week without any hangups. Here's the problem. I'm not hungry. I actually feel quite happy. I love being able to eat carbs again. I don't really eat a lot of processed foods other than pasta with spaghetti here and there and bread on occasion, but my potato chip addiction has returned after the vacation, so I'm working on that. I feel like I'm enjoying myself a lot having no restrictions and being able to maintain my weight has been wonderful. So here's my question. I'm in maintenance but not actually losing, and clean fasting is beyond me. I've tried green tea without anything because the feeling of something warm helps, and I'm literally ravenous. I hate the taste of black coffee. Plain water is a no-go. Unflavored sparkling water makes me nauseous. (laughs) I did put lemon juice in my water, and that tasted fine, so I might be able to do that. I want to achieve this clean fasting thing, but all my options are so limited, and I feel better on days I have my stevia lemonade or my coffee cream and bad artificial sweeteners. I know, I know. Most of the days I don't wind up finishing the coffee, but I'm happier overall. I know something has to give. I'm just kind of stuck in a loss. I want this clean fasting to see what it's like, but it's miserable. Um, She says she's uh, willing to give up her naughty chips if it means she can have one meal a day and maybe lose a little bit more weight. I feel like you guys are in maintenance like me, though I would still like to lose a bit more. In the beginning, you guys must have lost your weight not exactly with clean fasting. What's better, a lifestyle you can keep forever or really getting into the clean fast realm? How long did it take for you to be okay with the nasty taste of bitter coffee and plain water? 
I know I should be okay, but it just makes me sick and miserable. I guess I'm on the fence. Is it better to be happy doing something you can actually see as a lifestyle, or is it better to achieve the clean fast? And then she has two more little questions. She says um, that she tried peppermint tea instead of lemonade, and that made her super ravenous. So she wants to know what happened there. And then she wants to know about insulin. Uh, She knows that uh, eating sweets spikes her insulin. Um, So she's worried that maybe having sweets in her eating window is making her release too much insulin. Okay, so (laughs) at the end, she says, thanks, ladies. Keep up for all you do. Love, love, love you guys and the show and all the knowledge you both keep dishing out. All right, Myla. Okay, there's a lot there, a lot there from Myla. All right, Myla, look, I'm going to give you some tough love because you already know this. You know it. (laughs) Yes, the clean fast really does matter. Um, You've mentioned a couple of times in there that you were ravenous. Like you said, you know, something warm helps and I'm literally ravenous. And then you also mentioned that, you know, the peppermint tea, now you're beyond ravenous. So that's always a bad sign. You should not be ravenous. So as far as the peppermint tea, that may not work well for you. If you ever get really hungry after drinking something, you know that is a that is something that your body um, doesn't appreciate during the fast. Now, I have a blog post that really goes into this in great detail. So go to jenstevens.com. Stevens is with the P-H, G-I-N, Stevens with a P-H, dot com, and find my blog post called Does a Clean Fast Really Matter? If you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 24, I'll just, I'll put a link there to Jen's post. Yeah. And you really need to read it. And if you want to start by scrolling to the bottom, I have a whole section where I asked in my Facebook group, hey, does anybody have experience with changing from, you know, or starting with a clean fast or anything that, that people might like to read? And the responses just came in like crazy. So many people had a story to tell. So start with those stories because I can tell you a thousand times that a clean fast matters. But hearing it from all these different people um, really drives the point home. And then above that, the, the blog post talks about the science of why it's so important. So you mentioned that in the beginning, we weren't exactly clean fasting either. And you're right. I tell this story in Delay Don't Deny of how... I actually lost 75 pounds fasting dirty, and I didn't realize it was making a difference. I was still doing the the calories in, calories out kind of thinking, and I didn't realize how important it was to keep insulin low during the fast. So, you know, if you go back to 2015, I lost the weight, I reached my goal, and then um, in early Over the holidays, I guess 2015, 2016, I had been at my goal of 75 pounds lost, and I was, quote, maintaining, but over the holidays in through January, I actually regained about eight pounds from my lowest. So I was like, oh, of course, that's the holiday weight, if that's what it is. So I found myself having to re-lose eight pounds that I had previously lost. Now, at that time, I was fasting with fruity teas. I was like, my favorite was like an apple pie, cinnamon tea. I mean, that just sounds sweet, doesn't it? And I put stevia in everything. So I was still um, chewing gum and I can't, I think it was xylitol. It was xylitol gum. I bought it in like the 600 
pack container. I mean, it was like a big giant tub of gum. I was chewing so much gum. So I was never giving my body a rest as far as the, you know, the clean fast. So yes, I was able to lose the weight doing that, but I regained weight and I struggled and I had to relose it. So in about, I guess, March of 2016, um, Dr. Jason Fung released the obesity code and I read it and light bulbs went off in my head because he has a whole section where he talks about sweet tastes and insulin being released. And he talks about, you know, stevia causing a huge insulin release and um, other artificial sweeteners causing that to happen. And so I talk about this in my book, like I said, but I just pitched a fit. I was like, I can't possibly drink coffee without my vanilla cream stevia drops in it. I can't possibly get through the day without this. I'm just going to have to give up coffee completely. So I tried that and um, I missed the coffee. But then finally I said, okay, I missed the coffee, but I'm going to do it black. So after about a week of holding my nose and drinking that black coffee, I started to actually like it. And and it became second nature. The good news is that my weight dropped back down. I continued to lose beyond my original goal till I got down to about 80 pounds lost. And since then, I, of course, you know, I don't weigh anymore, but I've gone down two more jean sizes throughout maintenance. And I haven't had to do any kind of, you know, going back on a plan to lose the weight again. So I am a huge believer because I saw it in myself. Before I started fasting clean, Yes, I was able to lose weight, but I never had the peaceful feeling that the fasting clean gives you. I was more interested in eating. I was hungrier. It felt like I was white knuckling it during the day. I was more ravenous. You mentioned that in your um, in your question all, th- all throughout what you were saying. So I promise you, it does matter. And, you know, I've noticed my skin has tightened up since I'm fasting clean, losing the, the jiggly bits. So I cannot encourage you enough to fast clean. I wish I had discovered it from the beginning. You know, I had a lot of false starts with intermittent fasting from 2009 to 2014. But I was drinking stevia sweetened cola during the day all day long. I was having, you know, the stevia in my coffee. And I never could feel like the intermittent fasting was a lifestyle until I got to 210 pounds and I was like, I just can't, I have to do something. So that was when I got serious about it and I just white knuckled through the hunger. But I promise you a clean fast makes so much difference with the hunger. It makes a difference with ketosis. It makes a difference with autophagy. I just can't um, stress that enough. So go to the blog post on jenstevens.com. Does a clean fast really matter? Read everybody's stories read the science behind it, and then hold your nose and drink that black coffee. And I promise you, eventually, you'll realize what a difference it's making for you. And I would like a follow-up from you (laughs) once that happens, maybe in a month. All right, what do you think, Melanie? Yeah, so I'm about about 90% on the same page uh, with what Jen said. I did as well start with sweetened beverages, artificial sweeteners. I was a big tea girl, especially those like fruity teas that are zero calorie, but still fruity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt the same way as Jen that you talked about, like white knuckling it. Like you just, you just go from drink to drink to drink until you eat. And then during the day again, it's like drink to drink to drink. And um, it's just, I don't know, it's not a very, it's not a clean, <laughs> it's not as good, a pure, clean, good feeling that you get when you do embrace the clean fasting. And I think the clean fasting is amazing. The reason I say I'm like 90%, not 100%, is that I do think in the end, after you've achieved clean fasting, 
I'm actually not hardcore completely against if you bring back if you find that you're happier bringing back like stevia or monk fruit or more natural drinks i but i i don't think you'll want to after you achieve clean fasting um but i don't see quite as huge a problem there but i do think clean fasting is amazing but as far as the artificial sweeteners go um no those i definitely recommend cutting out i don't think those do good things to our bodies at all i've done a lot of research on them and i'm not a fan but I don't advocate right now for you and for people, listeners in general, the stevia or the monk fruit or the, the sweetness because like Jen said, it really does – it really can potentially keep your insulin going. Um, yeah, so I would definitely really encourage you to listen to Jen <laughs> on that one. Um, I will say for me personally because uh, you want to know, Myla, how long it took us to bite the bullet and start to like you know, plain water black coffee – I used to could never see myself enjoying black coffee or just plain water all day. And now I love them. Like I love both of those. Um, and for me personally, that really happened actually after I started a, a paleo whole foods diet. Once I cut out all the, the, the foods that were creating, I think, addiction in my brain, even if it was during the eating window, I think just constantly activating that part of the brain and just that need for the, the foods that um, are addicting and keep you wanting more. After I cut all that out and went to a more whole foods basis, that's when I really found it easier to adopt to like plain water and coffee. And so Myla, I know you, you, you talk, uh, few times you mentioned about how you know you how you know you need to uh, cut out the chips and <laughs> the stuff like that I, that actually might help more than you might realize I know you're thinking of cutting it out for weight loss but that actually might help as well with um, your cravings during the fasted state believe it or not um, as far as your other two questions the peppermint tea yeah if it's making you ravenous just nix it out I I don't know if this is the reason but my first thought when I read that was um, peppermint is a very stimulating <laughs> uh, flavor. And so it maybe it's like activating your, it could be like activating your adrenal system or maybe it's causing something there. But in any case, if it's not working for you, you just don't do it. As far as the insulin and the eating window goes, so that's a good question. We've talked about that a lot on pr uh, prior episodes, but insulin during the fast is what you don't want. Insulin when you're eating, you do want you do need insulin at some point, and that's when you're eating. Insulin has a good purpose. Um, it is what ushers nutrients into your cells. You do need insulin when you're eating. You don't want to be in a state of never having insulin ever again. You would die. <laughs> so <laughs> don't worry about the insulin during the eating window, but definitely try to minimize that insulin during the fasting window, which the clean fasting will do that. So do the lemon water. You said you think you could maybe do the lemon water. Um, I know that's – I don't know. What do you think, Jen? Do you think the, – Here's here's the thing about lemon. I have another another blog post that addresses it. Um, can I have blank when fasting? It's also on my website. And lemon water is something we call the gray area because it does affect people differently. Theoretically, you know, it could be fine. But many people do find it makes them hungrier. But, I mean, it would be – like you're not trying to make it – have like the taste of lemonade. You just want a little bit of lemon. Um, personally, I do better with just plain water. I do too. But maybe that maybe you could transition. Maybe she could try the 
the lemon water a tiny first, bit of lemon and then yeah. go from lemon water to water you know she may be one of those people that lemon makes her hungrier like a lot of people so you have to experiment with that my advice really with the um can i have blank when fasting um blog post is to get used to a clean fast for two weeks, and I'm talking about nothing questionable, you just absolutely have the black coffee, the plain boring tea, plain water, two weeks. You know, choke it all down. Try to try to stand it for two weeks. Then reintroduce the thing you're not sure about. Your body will tell you. If you, if you know what a clean fast feels like, you know what it feels like to not have one. So that's my best advice for that. And as far as the um, adding it back in, you know, adding back in the stevia and the, the monk fruit, as Melanie mentioned, I've never known anyone who did that. I've never known anybody who, I've ne- you know, because once you know what a clean fast feels like, you know what it feels like when you don't have one and it does not feel better. So the clean fast feels like so much better than when you're spiking that insulin during the day because that's when you start to get shaky and hungry and you get the hunger back. So I wouldn't risk it personally. That's a very good point. But you can always try it just to prove to yourself that, oh, yeah, you're right. This is not making yeah. me better. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't personally actually see myself reintroducing it. Ready for the next one? Yes, yes. This is from Eva, and the subject is flax seeds. And Eva says, Dear Melanie and Jen, love your podcast. I have a question about whole, not ground, flax seeds. Would these interfere with my fasted state since they pass through the system undigested? Greetings from a Swedish girl living in sunny Brazil. Swedish girl in Brazil. (laughs) I love that. Me too. All right, flax seeds. Okay, people get this idea that there are these free foods that we can magically ingest and our body is just going to like not respond to them. I don't know. Like if you're putting in something physical into your body – even if it's not being digested, I mean, I just, and this is just me just speaking without like intense scientific knowledge, but if you're putting something physical into your digestive system, your body is going to know it's there. You know, it's going to at least yeah. try to digest it. <laughs> um, so uh, at, like worse or worst case scenario or best case scenario, if flaxseed for some reason doesn't get digested at all, which it does, it can, um, your body's at least going to try to digest it, which is not, we don't want to start the digestive process during the fast. Um, so for that reason alone, I would not take in flaxseed during the fast. But as for whether or not it's digested, I did some research on flaxseed and there are studies about the health benefits of flaxseeds, including whole flaxseeds and not the health benefits because they're not digested, the health benefits for the nutrients they contain. Um, So that would indicate to me that it's still very likely that you can get nutrients and digest whole flax seeds. For example, it talks about like fatty acids and stuff like that. So I'll put links to those studies in the show notes. So no, I would not, I would not have flax seed during the fast. And people talk about chia seed or yeah, chia seeds as well. Yeah, chia. Um, I'm on the same page with that. I don't think, I don't think you should ingest anything physical. Definitely. What are your thoughts, Jen? I'm a hundred percent on the on the same page with you. And here's the thing: it's hard to. I mean, there's not a study of what 
you know, ground flax seeds or, I mean, whole, sorry, whole flax seeds due to the fat, fasted state. There is no study about that. That would be nice. Um, so we can't <laughs> say, yes, the study they did on whole flax seeds in the fasted state, I would, yeah, I would love to pull that out, but there isn't one. So you just have to go on what we do know, like Melanie talked about with digestion. And when you put things in, you know, your body's like, here it comes. And, and it does start the process. Um, you know, the t- with chia, people are, are, I guess, wanting to use that because it, like, bulks up and makes you not feel hungry. The point is, what really makes you feel great is the fast itself once you get used to it. Rather than trying to find all these things that you can have during the fast, just, you know, get used to not having anything. Now, if you're looking for health benefits from whole flax seeds, then maybe open your window with some whole flax seeds and you know if you want to have a benefit from those on an empty stomach consider that your window is open and and that's no problem the same with the chia you know there are health benefits to these products but you don't need them as a crutch during the fast they're they're not something that's necessary and i promise you that you don't yep wonderfully said all right, I feel like that was a lot of tough love for those first two questions. <laughs> it was. It was. We've got it for you. We'll shift things a little bit now. Um, so we actually have four questions that are all pretty much related. So I'm going to read all of them, and we will address all of them. So the first one comes from Connie, and the subject is standard pattern or mixing things up. And Connie says, Hi, ladies. I love, love, love your podcast. So many useful tips. So thanks for sharing your knowledge with so many people. I've been experimenting with intermittent fasting for two months now and have gone down two pant sizes. I feel great and find it easy to stick to. And I'm only eating when I feel like it, not because the clock says so. My question, it seems that most people are following a fairly regular IF pattern, like 16-8, 18-6, or one meal a day. However, people like Dr. Fung, we were just talking about him earlier, uh, warn that this will only work for a short period of time as you can easily reach a plateau. The body will get accustomed to getting the first meal at 3 p.m. each and every day with roughly the same amount of calories. It would be better to switch things up, eat large amounts on one day, then eat almost nothing the following day to keep the body guessing. Both the amount and timing should change over time to make it more effective. What is your experience with regular versus irregular patterns? I would love to eat more irregular, but since I started skipping breakfast and lunch, I simply don't have appetite for a large meal in the morning. Let's let's address this one first because it's it's very specific, and then we can. It, I I want to talk about this one. I actually have a blog post about this um, one as well called "Can Your Body Adapt to Your Fasting Plan," and it specifically addresses um, the comments that that people have heard Dr. Funk say about, you know, your body adapting to one meal a day. Now, interestingly enough, he also reports this is how he eats during the week. He eats one meal a day, and then over the weekend, he has a little more flexibility. So um, I just thought that was an interesting side note. Now, the whole point of intermittent fasting is that it is protective of your metabolic rate. Yes, we know that from research. Also, we know that we're not consciously counting calories. So if you find that over time you realize you're eating just a little bit every day and you're not eating very much, you know, maybe you do need to consciously think about, you know, am I too much in a routine? So I talk about this in the blog post, Can Your Body Adapt to Your Fasting Plan? I have actually found that my body tells me some days I need to eat more and some days I need to eat less. So 
instead of me having to do it on purpose, it happens naturally. Um, I had one day this past week where I was really, really hungry and I had a big snack and then I had a big dinner and then I had some dessert later and my window went for about six hours. I was hungry that day. Then the next day, it was so very interesting. I had like half of my dinner and my body said, stop eating this food. <laughs> I mean, it was like I was full. I couldn't eat another bite. And so I really think that your body mixes it up. If you're listening to your hunger and satiety signals, your body mixes it up naturally and, and gives you those cues as to what you should be doing. No, you don't want to be you know exactly the same every single day, but I don't think that most of us end up eating that way. You know, yesterday, I, I mentioned earlier, I took my son to college, and we I opened my window at 1130. That's not typical, but we were in Savannah, and I went to Paula Dean's restaurant, and I had lunch with my son. I wasn't going to sit there and drink water. I could have, but I wanted to have a meal with my son before I left him, and so um, sometimes you just do that, and it, it, it mixes it up for your body. We don't want to be exactly the same day after day, but I don't think your body will let you do that if you're listening. What do you think about that, Melanie? Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing as you. Um, rather than me purposely changing my window each and every day to switch things up, I do the same thing. I feel like um, naturally changing what I eat works best for me, um, what and how much, and that happens naturally. Um, so rather than focus on, oh, I need to consciously change my pattern – um, instead, I just eat to satiety. And on some days, that ends up being way less than other days. Sometimes it ends up being way more. And then also the the composition the composition of it changes as well. So some days it's going to be higher carbs. Some days it's higher fat. Although I have noticed, uh, it's very interesting, my protein seems to be pretty much the same every day. But yeah, I, I personally think that for me that that works a lot better not even like keeping the body guessing, just keeping the body um, happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I don't see any reason to be, get more neurotic about, oh, I need to be this pattern today and this pattern today. I just like to be mm -hmm. more intuitive. And, and for me, that works best only eating one quote, one meal a day at night, but um, changing the actual hours of the eating and then what I'm eating. But that does happen naturally. So, right. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've continued to lose weight over time slowly. And so, you know, have I plateaued? Well, yeah, I guess right here down at my ideal weight. So, <laughs> you know, it just, it happens on its own rather than having to micromanage it. Definitely. So the next one comes from Sarah. The subject is fasting window. And Sarah says, is it okay to change up your fasting window? Mine is five hours, but sometimes I feast from 12 to 5, and sometimes I feast from 5 to 10. Would it be better off to stay consistent with my times? Love the podcast. So we can go ahead and actually just address these one by one. Um, okay. So I guess that's a, a similar question. And I, I personally would say, yep, I, I think it's completely fine as long as you're being intuitive with it and you're doing what works with your body and I like Sarah what you're doing you're still maintaining a five-hour eating window you're just changing when that five-hour eating window is and yeah I think if it works for you go go for it <laughs> what do you think Jen yeah I think that's important and some people get hung up in the length of the fast like we had a question about that today in the Facebook group um 
you know, like, well, if, if I switch it around, then one day my fast was only, you know, 13 hours and the next day it was what it averages out is my point that I'm making here. So don't focus on that. I feel like if you keep the window to a, a short length, you know, like a five hour window, wherever you can move it around to suit your lifestyle, the fast will average out and be just fine. So no need to, to try to make it rigid. You want it to feel like a lifestyle that's enjoyable. And for yesterday, it was opening my window at 1130 because that was what I wanted to do that day. Yeah. And we, I've talked about this before. Um, I do think in the beginning, it's good to be really rigid on your times because it's the best way to adapt to intermittent fasting, especially when you haven't done it before. You do need to be, I, it helps most people to be pretty strict because it really forces you to get into the pattern of it. But ultimately, I think that uh, you should be intuitive. So we don't need to get so hung up on the exact amount of hours every single day. It's more just about achieving that fasted state every day and writing it out as long as you personally want to, personally feel comfortable with. Um, Yeah. In the end, we're looking for intuition and doing what is going to work best. So... I think that's an excellent point. If you're still adjusting to intermittent fasting, then, you know, your body's going to lie to you and it's going to say you're hungry. (laughs) Don't, don't listen. So (laughs) don't listen to that. So, um, yes, you do want to make sure that your body is adjusted to intermittent fasting before you start switching it up too much. That's an excellent point. All right. Next one is from Alyssa. Subject is changing your fasting window. There's really a theme here. She says, I'm finishing my first week of IF. So she's very new. She says, I had been hearing and reading the term intermittent fasting over and over again, and then I found your awesome podcast and decided to take the leap. You ladies do a wonderful job of educating your listeners. I binge listened to all of your podcasts and found myself so excited to take this journey. So far, I feel really great. I decided to do one meal a day with a four to six hour eating window, time dependent on when I can get the food on the table for my family. One meal a day is pretty easy for me during the week, as on a normal workday, I eat lunch at my desk, so now I just skip that part. The weekend is a little more tricky, not because I'm hungry, but socially, it's hard to maintain. My question, how do you feel about changing your window throughout the week, i.e. five days doing 24 and two days doing 16-8? What potential problems could arise from not staying consistent? So... Similar question. Um, how how do we want to tweak our answer at all for Alyssa? Well, she's asking about having a different a different um, rhythm on the weekends, and I think that's that's a little different. So, here's the thing: you have to design a lifestyle that works for you. So, and you have to make sure it meets your goals. So, the way to know if you can do five days with a four-hour window and then on the weekends have an eight-hour window is to try that and see if it works. An eight-hour window works for very many people. A lot of people, you know, start with an eight-hour window and they lose weight on an eight-hour window and it feels great to them and that's just how they choose to live. You're still getting 16 hours of fasting a day. Now, a lot of the good stuff in a fast does happen in that 16 to 19, you know, to 24-hour period. So from 16 to 24 of the fast – you're, you're getting some good stuff going on. So, you know, if you're doing five days of 20 hours of fasting and then two days you're, you're managing 16, if you're getting the results you're looking for, if you're losing the weight, if you feel good, there's no reason that that, that is a bad idea. Now, if you find that 
you're simply maintaining your weight, but you're trying to lose weight, then you know that you're going to have to toughen it up on the weekends a little bit. The good news is that once you lose the weight in maintenance, you can have more flexibility. So, you know, sometimes you do have to be a little more hardcore to lose the weight and then loosen up a little bit as it becomes your maintenance lifestyle. But really, there is no answer for everybody. Some people start with 16-8, continue that the whole time, and that is just what they do. And so I I can't know if that's going to work for you, but it might. I would just say try it. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, and so I'm looking back over her question. I guess she doesn't even talk about whether or not it's for um, weight loss specifically, but I'm just going to assume that that is what it's for. Um, but I, I do like the uh, everything that you said, Jen, um, especially, Alyssa, if this is just your very first week of IF. Uh, so like I just mentioned, I do think in the beginning, especially if it is for weight loss, you might want to really stick to something uh, a little bit more consistent and, quote, strict, even though I don't like that word, um, in the beginning. And then as you lose the weight, as you become more comfortable, then you can start mixing things up. Um, although in general, I, I guess uh, – being more flexible on the weekends would be a good way to, we talked earlier about the fears about keeping your body guessing or whatever. Um, maybe if you do want to naturally bring in some flux, then being more lax on the weekends might be a way to do that. And we, we actually, I'll put a link to the show notes because we actually did have a question from Alyssa. We remember Jim, we talked about, um, we talked about weekends specifically on another podcast. Um, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes because we, 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 t- we did talk about that before. Well, it's, it's a big issue because you find that there are more social events. It, it's like a no-brainer during the week. You just don't eat till you get home. And then on the weekend, there's all these things coming up and you want to experience those things. So it really is a struggle that a lot of people face. The key is – not just, you know, saying, hey, it's the weekend, let's go crazy. You know, I have a, a chapter in my book called Saturday is not a special occasion because it happens every week. I remember reading that in your book. I was like, that is brilliant. <laughs> well, it just, <laughs> I got a million of them, people. No, <laughs> but it's true because we get into that special occasion mindset of just throwing the caution to the wind and then you realize you're not losing any weight. You just tread water every weekend. You know, so people will have the pattern of, losing weight, losing weight, losing weight, then it pops back up over the weekend and then it takes you till Thursday to lose that weight again and then it pops back up. So, you know, that's fine in maintenance if you're happy with that. But if you're trying to lose weight, you just can't can't live that way. Another idea that just popped into my head, um, I don't want to encourage like restrictive mindsets around food or anything. So please don't take that this way. But um, if you are doing a a longer eating window and you're nervous about the effects of that, maybe that's when you could focus on making better food choices or um, just looking more at what you're eating, maybe filling up more on like vegetables and fruits and stuff like that, if that's a possibility. Um, So maybe that could be another way to sort of mitigate the uh, having a longer eating window. The longer window. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Okay, so our last question, I'm not even going to attempt to say this name, uh, but she just say, call me E, my name is hard. That's when you know. <laughs> so E. <laughs> so E's subject is, should I mix up my eating windows? And E says, hi, I'm new to IF. I've tried the 16-8 for a month, and I'm also very healthy. I do weight training six times a week. 
and cardio 30 minutes on the Stairmaster daily. I have not seen the number on the scale reduce, but I do see more definition on my body. The number on the scale only dropped drastically from 153 to 149 when I tried 24 for two days in a row, and I was really hungry, but I survived. I'm just wondering what I should do. Should I keep going with the 16.8 or should I mix it up to see faster results if my goal is to be 140 to 143 pounds? Thank you for your podcast. It has really helped me and you're both and you are both so hilarious. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I do too. I want to be hilarious. <laughs> um, okay. So what are your thoughts on this one, Jen? Well, I I do want to say that um, E has hit upon something in there when she says that the number on the scale is not going down, but she's getting more body definition. And, of course, that is body recomposition, and that happens when you're working out while doing intermittent fasting. Because of the increase in growth hormone during the fast, your body is going to be even better at building muscle than it was before. So... You could expect to see quite a bit of size change, like you could get smaller and smaller and smaller and more and more defined and not lose weight on the scale. So don't be surprised if that happens because the scale is not going to be a good indication of how your body is changing because we know that by volume, muscle weighs more than fat does. You know, if you get a, you know, five pounds of fat is going to be a lot bigger than five pounds of muscle tissue. So keep that in mind. Now, as far as the... The window length of 16.8 versus 24, just like I said to Alyssa before, you've got to figure out the window that works for you and gives you the results you want. If you are able to continue to have body recomposition and get smaller in size, you know, forget about what the scale is telling you because that scale is not going to tell you what your body is changing into. But if you're getting smaller and you like the changes you see and 16.8 is working for you, then stick with it. But you don't have to necessarily go all the way to a 20-hour fast. You know, you could just try maybe a 19-hour fast or maybe an 18-hour fast. You know, somewhere in there might be your sweet spot. So keep playing around with it. And as we already said, there's no need for it to be rigidly exactly the same every day. Make it, you know, suit your appetite and satiety for the day. Maybe say, you know, I'll never have a eating window longer than 8, but feel free to flex it shorter when it feels right on a day that you're not as hungry maybe you only need a three-hour window that day what do you think melanie yeah i think that's great and then i do have a few more just little points to to hit on um so i find it really interesting i guess she lost four pounds in two days when she went down to a shorter eating window which is pretty significant so i that i don't know if that was mostly water weight or if that was um actual weight loss um but so e you're you're doing a a lot of exercise. So you're doing weight training six times a week and cardio for 30 minutes every single day. Um, I definitely think that's probably, I mean, that that's a lot. <laughs> and it's uh, not surprising to me that you were, you said you were really hungry when you tried changing your eating window and making it shorter. So I would actually, you're not going to like, you're not going to want to hear this and you're probably not going to, well, I don't know. You might, you might take my advice. Um, I would actually maybe suggest doing a going a little bit 
easier on the training and making the eating window a little bit shorter. That actually might, you might actually see more benefits with that if you kind of ease up a little bit on the exercise and instead do a little bit more fasting. You just try it, see what happens. Um, In any case, it looks like you're only trying to lose around five pounds or so, which says to me that, um, I mean, that... when it's less weight to lose, I I do think it's a little bit harder because it's not like we have all this fat laying around um, to just burn through kind of effortlessly. So I do think you are going to have to, it, to really make progress, you might have to really shorten that eating window. And if to do that, if to do that, you need to cut down on your exercise, that actually might, um, mm-hmm. might be beneficial. So... Yeah. Yeah. I think that was an excellent point about the exercise that I just went right past all that. But yeah, that is a lot of exercising. So, you know, we've, we've been trained all of our lives. We all have eat less, move more. So we think that the, you know, well, if eat less, move more then how much can I move? And we think that more is always better. And, you know, just like we fast intermittently, maybe we need to exercise a little more intermittently. (laughs) Not quite so much at one time. So, yeah, that's an excellent point. Are we ready to move on to a whole different subject? Okay. This is from Chrissy, and her um, subject is post-dinner exercise. Chrissy says, hi, I'm wondering what exercising after your last meal does. Will it start the fat burning sooner? Does the amount of carbs burned from the last meal affect intermittent fasting? I know high-intensity workouts at the end of the fast are recommended for maximum fat loss, but I like to exercise at night to lower my blood sugar and get some me time. Thanks for your podcasts, Chrissy. What do you think, Melanie? I'm actually really curious to see if you have feedback on this, Jen, from your groups and stuff, because I just know from, from I know for me personally, Chrissy, that um, exercising in the fasted state is just really creme de la creme for me. I don't really do well with um, exercising in the fed state, especially for maximizing fat loss and all of that stuff. Um, but as for your question, so does it start the fat burning sooner or how, do, how does it affect um, carb burning and how does that affect intermittent fasting? Um, so it's really hard to tell, but just going off of the concept, I mean, if you are burning more energy, which you stored, then I would assume um, that you would enter the fasted state sooner. I mean, it's really hard to tell what's going on in any person's individual body. For most people or many people, the problem could be that doing that might make you a little bit hungrier or just kind of like mess with things, especially because when you are, when you do eat, then you're going into a different state, which is more, it's a state of nutrient processing, it's a state of regeneration, it's a state of digestion. So that doesn't always pair well with um, with exercise. But if it's working for you, Chrissy, do what works for you. And it sounds like this is working for you. So my big thing is why, if it's not broken, um, why fix it? Or if it's not, yeah, <laughs> whatever the phrase is. Um but what are your thoughts, Jen? Have people talked about this in the group as far as exercising, like after eating? Oh yeah, people talk about you know when to best exercise all the time. But do a lot of people do people a lot of people do that or? Well, most people do exercise in the fasted state, but really it is up to you. You know, if you feel I feel, I think that it would make me feel sick to do a lot of yeah. I would not like to eat a meal and then go do high intensity exercise. My body probably would not react well to that, but. 
if you feel great after you eat and then doing a, a big meal and, and like Melanie said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? So I would not personally do it because I don't think I would feel good. You know, if I eat a big meal and then go do a lot of moving around, it's like, ugh, you know, it makes my stomach hurt. But, you know, it's up to you. If, if, if you're getting your me time and you're exercising and you feel good while you're doing it, I would say do it. I wouldn't worry so much about physiologically what's happening in your body at any given moment because that's overthinking it. You know, you're you're getting the fast in, you're getting your exercise in, you feel good. That's That's what's important. All right, awesome. So we can jump into our next question, and this comes from Betty. And Betty's subject is love it but not losing. And Betty says... I've been listening to your podcast and I'm through about eight episodes. I became involved with IF and extended fasting through Dr. Fung and Megan Ramos. We have a lot of Dr. Fung represented on this episode. Uh, Dr. Fung never lays out exactly what diet you should follow on feeding days, but his assistant Megan Ramos lost 80 pounds on a five foot frame by eating ketogenic on her feeding days. I love fasting. I feel superhuman when I'm on about day three of a fast. I sleep so satisfyingly and I wake up feeling refreshed and replenished. I have energy and clarity and a sense of well-being. Last week, I completed 119 hours. Wow. And this week was 117 hours. I'm not diabetic. I'm well-controlled hypothyroid on armor replacement. I'm 55 years old and I'm on an estrogen patch. Both of these things supposedly inhibit weight loss. I oscillate between 158 and 165 pounds. I will get that weight down after a week of fasting and then back up I go after two days of not over-the-top eating. I've been fasting in varying amounts over the past six months and my appetite has lessened immeasurably. I'm not tempted by summer ice cream or fast food and I'm not tempted by my favorite food pizza or stromboli. What's stromboli? It's like calzone, but it's rolled up. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I feel that good, (laughs) so good that I stick with it without really losing the 25 pounds I'd like to lose. My reason for bombarding you with all this info, ad nauseum, is that I heard Jen, I heard Jen say that she did the 23andMe testing and it told her what diet to follow, although she had already lost weight, based on her DNA. I've tried keto and it seems I gain on keto if I eat to satiety. Jimmy Kimmel gorges himself on pizza and pasta on on his feed days. Dr. Michael Mosley eats 500 calories on his fast days, then also eats whatever on his feed days. So my question is, do you think it's worth the $199 to get feedback on what diet I should follow based on my DNA, or do you think it's just the usual eat healthy, three meals, two snacks? My apologies for the rambling, but I'm truly perplexed. Thank you in advance. So this is a really interesting question. I have so much to say about both both parts of this question because it's really two-part. And I'm going to start with the, the last part and then go back to the extended fast part. The 23andMe. Is it worth $199 to get the feedback on what diet you should follow? I'm going to say no to that because here's why. We are still in the infancy of this science, and they are making connections between, yes, there are genetic differences, and that may tell you what foods you do best on, but you have to also understand the foods that you do best on are not 100% only under the control of 
your genes. It also has to do with your gut microbiome and other personal factors. So you are not going to get a personalized eating um, profile that's going to like pinpoint exactly what you should do based on this profile, this 23andMe. It's, it's more of just interesting and, you know, it may teach you some things about yourself that, that you didn't know, but do it because of that, not because you think you're going to get like a, a prescriptive, this is exactly how you should eat based on this, you know, 23andMe report. And actually 23andMe does not give you that. You have to go explore the raw data. And the thing about this is, as I mentioned, the science is still in its infancy. There are definitely some correlations, okay, between certain genetic profiles, certain, you know, pieces of your genetic data, and whether you may, for example, do better with high protein versus low protein, or whether you're going to do better with saturated fat or not saturated fat. But it's not definitive. And we have all these genes and what they do from day to day. I mean, they may or may not be expressing themselves at any one time. We we tend to think of genes as cut and dried and black and white and, you know, blue eyes, brown eyes. And it's a whole lot more complicated than we thought. And I actually address this in the book I'm working on, um, my second book. I talk a lot about this. And yes, it's it's not just a blueprint that you should follow based on your genetic testing. So so there's that part. It's interesting, do it, but don't say you're don't don't think you're going to get some sort of cut and dried results. I actually um watched a very interesting video. This is also going to be in my second book where they have personalized diets based on a combination of your genes and your gut microbiome. And when they put that together, they get a much better fit for what's going to work for you. So this is just coming out. I mean, there are companies that, that are doing this now, but I don't know. You know, we don't have long-term results yet. So do it if money is no object and you're interested to find out if this is what you should do. But I would not um, say that you're going to, you know, get some definitive answer right now. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, you you said basically everything I was going to say. Um I so I didn't do 23andMe. I did Genes for Good, and I don't know if that's still running, but that's basically a free Facebook app that will give you the same information. The only thing is you have to you have to do all of these surveys, and it, it takes a long time. Um, it's a research project run through a university. Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. That is a free version of 23andMe because in any case, you end up getting the raw data, which you can run through um, to actually interpret that data. There are different services. Um, so for example, I use one called Prometheus, if that's the way you say it. Um, and that lets you look through all of the genes and what they mean. I actually did a really long blog post on this. So I'll put a link to that as well in the show notes. But as for the question, um, I definitely, it's fascinating. And I think that the gene stuff is just like, it's really cool and you can learn a lot, but I definitely don't think we should look to that and think that it's going to tell us this is what I should eat because it's just, it's not, there's just so much to know. Um, we can't really make the assumptions based on that data. And Jen mentioned this before, but there's a huge difference and people don't really realize this, but there's a huge, huge difference between genetics and epigenetics. Um, so right. genetics are the actual literal genes. Epigenetics is, epigenetics is the process of whether or not those genes are turned on or off 
basically whether or not they're um, actually affecting you. And that has to do a lot with your lifestyle, has to do with your like your gut microbiome, like Jen said, has to do with your environment. And that's huge. Um, it's actually super motivating because it means that you're not regulated by your genes. Um, we're not like des- we're not necessarily destined for certain illnesses or certain um, we're just a lot of things <laughs> from our genes because how we actually live is going to affect that um, in so many ways. And personally, as far as like the diet thing, I th- I found for me that looking at my my uh, the data that I got from it it more just kind of confirmed what I already knew rather than told me what I needed to do. Um, So like on an obvious example, it'll be like, you're likely to have blue eyes. And I'm like, yep. (laughs) Um, But then on the (laughs) diet side of things, it kind of, uh, it said a lot of things that I had kind of intuitively felt. And it kind of, I was like, oh, this is interesting. This kind of explains why I already feel this way or why I already eat this way. So I think it's more interesting for like, little nuances. Um, I mean, it is really cool because you can see things also like how you tolerate caffeine and um, whether or not you're a, a quote, a warrior or a warrior, or I can't even say the two words, warrior versus warrior. (laughs) Um, So it's interesting, but I would not go to it for the ultimate diet. Um, And then I just want to say like briefly, uh, I think Betty, it sounds like you're, so you're struggling with losing the weight, but you're not yeah, I haven't even gotten into that long fast stuff yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. So I, we'll talk about that. I'll let Jen jump in. But I was just going to say, it looks like, Betty, it looks like to me what you're trying to do is the fasting isn't working because you haven't really adopted like a fasting protocol that uh, I personally don't, that I think would work for you. And it looks like you're trying to like find an answer by not addressing the fasting. Um, and so you think that maybe this, doing this DNA thing will tell you what to do and that'll be the key when I think that maybe we should just change our fasting approach, which I think, I think, Jen, is that what you're going to? Oh, I'm going to. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Betty, um, y'all know I love Dr. Jason Funk so very much and I love the obesity code and um, he is just doing some great stuff and he's a doctor. I'm not a doctor, but a lot of people have um, taken on his advice with the extended fasting to feel like the more you fast, the better, obviously. So you said that last week you did 119 hours. That is like five days of fasting, okay? And then the next week you did 117. So it sounds to me like you were fasting for five full days and then eating for two and then fasting for five and then eating for two. And um, I'm going to pull out another fasting doctor today and talk about what he has said about these long fasts. And look, I am not um, saying that Jason Fung is wrong because he's the one with the hands-on with his clinic and he's getting amazing results with patients right now. But um, there's another doctor who has written a book about fasting that is um, actually, he does not recommend extended fasts for weight loss. Dr. Joel Furman. Have you read any of his work? I have not. What's his book? Oh, gosh. I can't. I knew that. I can't think of the name of this book. It's got fasting in the title. I've I've got the book. It's it's on my bookshelf. But I read his book, and 
he um, promotes the longer fasts for healing purposes. You know, he's worked with lots and lots of patients with longer fasts for healing, but not for weight loss. He specifically says in his book, and, you know, keep in mind, this is a book promoting fasting, encouraging fasting. He specifically says extended fasting is not meant for weight loss. Extended fasting is meant for health and for healing and that you're trying to solve some sort of health condition with the longer fasts. He goes on and on to talk about how, based on the work he's done with patients, he finds that the longer fasts do come with an element of metabolic slowdown. So, you know, here we are on our, our podcast talking about intermittent fasting, promoting you know, a higher metabolic rate. And then we have Dr. Furman in his practice saying the extended fasts may slow your metabolism over time. And I think the key is we don't know at what point that might be. We know that based on the research we've seen, when they've studied short-term fasts of up to 72 hours, the the metabolic rate did not slow. But they also weren't repeatedly doing this over and over and over again, like 72 hours, then two days of eating, then 72 hours, then two days of eating. We don't have that research with the metabolism. So I don't feel confident saying that having a 119, 117-hour fast and then two days of eating will not eventually slow your metabolism. I, based on what I've read from Dr. Furman, he he would probably not recommend that if your goal is weight loss. You know, if you're trying to, you know, work with a doctor who's, you know, doing cancer research, that's something different. That's healing purposes. Um, it seems to me that your body is not responding well to this much fasting if you are only looking at the weight loss aspect of it because you say that every week your weight goes down when you do the long fast, and then it goes right back up again. So I feel like you may benefit from an intermittent fasting routine like we do, where you have a daily eating window, yes, instead of trying to get it off, because it's not getting it off, you know. As Dr. Furman says in his book, the longer fasts are not for weight loss, they're for healing. So you're not having weight loss, you're not seeing it. So if you would just change that, fasting approach. Now, if your metabolism has slowed, you may see some weight regain at first, and that would be scary. So, you know, I I don't know what to tell you with that, but I would never, never, never advise someone to do this much extended fasting ever over and over again, week after week. It seems like a bad idea to me. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, exact same answer I, I i just betty i just want to say stop <laughs> just stop and let's change things um i think so clearly the fasted state works for you as far as how it makes you feel clearly you can run well in the fasted state but i think that you're in i don't want to say unhealthy but i, I don't like the pattern that you're in as far as you're like intensely fasting you're really getting into that state and thriving on it and then it sounds like you're just kind of rebounding and then you're just starting the whole thing again that's it's not very sustainable and it's almost it's almost not surprising that you're not getting weight loss because you're not doing something that's consistent that's assuring your body of nourishment if you're getting this intense rebound state um so i really really think betty that a one meal a day approach um or just a daily consistent intermittent fast might really be the key for achieving weight loss and finding something much more sustainable. 
Betty, you talk about how good you feel, you're still going to get that. Um, so every single day, you're going to get that fasted state and you're going to feel great. So it's the best of both worlds. But then you're going to eat at night, you're going to uh, nourish your body and you're not going to, your body's going to be assured of food um, coming in and nutrition coming in. And I think you'll be more likely to tap into your fat stores. So I really, really recommend you try that. And then maybe from there, maybe you can do the, the genetic testing later. Yeah. And you know, Back to the research on metabolism, I just thought of something I wanted to say. You know, we always talk about that up to 72 hours, the the metabolic rate should not slow. But when you dig into that particular study that's so often quoted, have you have you really looked at that one, Melanie, recently? No, not recently. Well, it actually, the metabolic rate has, a, it goes up and then it actually goes back down a little bit. I can't remember what the hours are of the of the fast. It doesn't go all the way down to baseline, but it doesn't just keep going up, 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 up continually through the whole 72 hours. It goes up and then it starts to go back down and then they stopped. So it doesn't go down below the beginning point, but it it doesn't just keep going up, 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 which I think is a very important point that many people miss. They're like, well, if it goes up for 72, it must just keep going up, up, up. But we just don't have the research on what the metabolic rate does past that point. We just don't know. So maybe someone's working on that. But but until they do, I think we just have to be careful. And we cannot assume that more fasting is better and that your metabolic rate will never, ever be impacted by your fasting. Yeah. And then also Betty says that she's hypothyroid as well. And and I think that would probably benefit better from daily fasting than this really long extreme fasting, especially not if you're in a, a controlled medical situation, which I think that's really important to keep in mind because Dr. Fung is running a clinic. Right. And so working with patients, monitoring them, I don't think we should just casually do the no. same thing on our own at no. all. I'm I'm actually against that personally. And I would never, yeah, I would never recommend someone do a lot of extended fasting on their own. I feel like anything, you know, 48 hours up to 72 hours past that, you really need to be under medical supervision. Um, I I think you can't say, well, look what he's doing. It's great. He's doing it with these people. I'm going to do it too over here on my own because you don't know what, what could really be happening. You need to have that medical professional that is supervising you throughout them. So be very, very cautious with the longer fast. I also, you know, as, as people know, if they've been listening for a while, I have these intermittent fasting groups on Facebook. And very frequently, people who do a lot of extended fasting suddenly start having trouble with, with binging at some point. Their body is like, and I, that's a sign your body is not happy. So I've just, I've seen that happen with people. They'll get into the groove and they're having weight loss and they're fasting a lot. And then they suddenly start to feel the urge to binge. So that's not a good sign. You should not feel that way. Yeah. And so I think that's why ultimately we love our, our one meal a day, our yep. daily fasting and not going much more beyond that. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, all of these questions were awesome. Everybody, you can definitely find what works for you and just rock it. <laughs> it's just a matter of finding it. Yeah. So, all right. So a few things before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, we would definitely love to hear them. So there are two ways that you can do that. You can email questions at ifpodcast.com. 
You can also go to our website, which is ifpodcast.com, and you can submit questions there. Also on that website, um, if you specifically go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 24, that's where you'll find show notes for the podcast. I guess we didn't really talk about any like products or anything today, but we'll put just all the information there for you. And then one last thing, you can also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, and then you will automatically get the episodes downloaded each week, and you won't even have to do anything. They'll just pop up, and they'll just be there for you. And also, while you're in iTunes, if you have a moment to just write a brief review, we would appreciate that so much. That just really, really helps. So any final thoughts from you, Jen, the Jen, the empty nester? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> sorry and on a sad note (laughs) that's okay that's okay there's also a lot of excitement about it too you know there's I'm sad because you just left but I also know where all of my Tervis tumblers are right now all of them I know where all the (laughs) coffee cups are you know all the towels are clean you know (laughs) so there's there's pros and cons (laughs) yeah all right well I guess we will talk again next week then yes have a great week you too Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.